Today, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, I'm going to start in John chapter 15. John 15, verse 1. Um, I just feel like God's been pouring a lot into me about the new and the fresh thing that He wants to do. And if you didn't hear last week's message, you can go back and, and listen to the to the podcast because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time like re-going over what we talked about last week, but it's going to tie in for the next few weeks. Um, this week, we'll see how far I get because I had a bunch of things that I wanted to get in there today, and uh, I'm not sure. So let's see how far we go. We're going to be in John 15 this morning, and I want to talk to you about new growth so we're talking about the new thing, and last week we talked about new wineskins and changing our mindset, and, and God says, I'm doing a new thing. Do you want in on it? If we want to be in on what God's doing, we need to have enough faith and trust to step into the new thing. And today I want to talk to you about new growth, new life, new fruit. All right, think about a fruit tree. That's awesome if it produced apples one time. But what good is it if it was just one time back in 1998 that it produced apples and now it's not producing fruit anymore? We want new growth, new fruit, new life. As Christians, we're supposed to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. All of that is supposed to be evident in our life. If you know a Christian and you never see the fruit, then it makes you question, I wonder if they're really a Christian. Like, I wonder if they really have a relationship with God. If there's no fruit coming out of their life. Why, why is that? Why We've probably all thought that before. Like, do they really know God or do they? Well, it's because if you really have a real relationship, there should be some new fruit. There should be some growth. There should be some stuff coming out of your life. Last week, we saw that to have the new thing in your life, it takes a sacrifice and you have to be willing to leave your past behind. If you're stuck in the past, you'll never walk in the new. You'll never create the future that God has for you. you got to change the patterns. Um, and as I've been reading some different studies and some, some things that psychologists have written and stuff, and they talk about the patterns that we as humans fall into, and that 40% of the things that you do on a daily basis are just a result of their habitual it's the result of patterns that you've set into place, and now you just do them without thinking. 40% of the average American, just you're just following the patterns that you've set in place. You don't even make a conscious choice or a decision on what you do. So right off the bat, there's 40% of your day is just a result of patterns and habits that you've set up. If we just stopped right there, we could talk and think about that for a little while, like because that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Right, If you've set up all these great patterns and your pattern is that I'm doing all these wonderful things, then awesome. You're going through your day and you've won 40% of the battle right there every single day because you had the discipline and the diligence to set up the right patterns and now it's just automatic. And we could be talking about your physical health. We can be talking about your spirit, man. Maybe your patterns are that you know, you, you get up and pray and you're in the Word and you're digging in every day and then it just becomes a pattern and it's just what you do and you don't even think about it. It would actually be hard for you to jump out of the pattern. 
But then on the other hand, there's a whole lot of bad patterns and it's real easy to just fall into the bad patterns and, and then that becomes something we do without even thinking. That becomes a road that we go down every day when we get off work. That becomes our mental pattern. That becomes our... And here's the scary thing. And, and for me, I, I was reading this thing because, it's, as you know, I just recently turned 40. And so I was reading this part of this book that explains um, that when humans, usually when they turn 40, is a huge turning point in their life because they began to close. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to be emotional. <laughs> It says that we begin to close doors permanently and we never go back and revisit. Like, we come to a point in our life and say, you know what, I, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to put that dream to rest. You know, that never worked out, so I'm not going to go there anymore. And, you know, I can't learn anymore. I just, I am what I am. And they say that that's a turning point and that it starts happening in our late 20s usually. First, I mean, it's an average, so some young, some even start in their late teens, but usually in your 20s somewhere, it starts happening, and through your 30s more and more, and by the time you're 40, you decide, I am what I am, this is what I am, these are my patterns, there are no more dreams, I can't get any better, I can't do anything different, and we just get stuck, and we settle for where we are, and then we start saying things like, well, hopefully the next generation can do what I couldn't do. And we just give up on the fact that we're still breathing and God still has purpose and new for us. Like it's not that the next, we want the next generation to do more than us. I hope my kids do more than I ever do. I hope like we want them to do more than us, but I don't want to stop doing anything and make it easy on them. Right? If I quit right now, it would be okay. Then they can catch me and pass me. Whoopee. I think Wayne told me one time, like, we all try to be better men than our fathers were, and some of our fathers made that easier than others. I think's how he worded it, <laughs> something along those lines. Right? I don't want to just give up and quit and then make it real easy for my boys to be better men than me because I stopped fighting. I stopped gaining ground. For God told the children of Israel and told Joshua, I'm going to give you every piece of ground that you step your foot on. I'm going to give you every piece of ground that you're willing to take. That's what God told him. God, you said you'd give me the promised land. Yep. Every bit of it that you're willing to take. Every bit of it that you're willing to walk in and drive out the enemies. But God, you said that I would be powerful. God, you said that our church would leave a mark. God, you said that I would have this legacy. Yeah. Every bit that we're willing to take, that we're willing to step into, that we're willing to drive the enemies out of. The enemies aren't people. Right? Almost all the enemies are, for me, I don't know, maybe you got some little banshees that attack you when you walk out to your truck and try to do something good but for me a lot of it's in my in my mind this isn't a parenting message 
I'm saving that for the baby dedication. If you win the battle in your mind, you win. it's easy to win the battles out here. Right? If I'm good in here, it's easy for me to win out here. If I'm setting up good, healthy patterns in here that line up with Scripture and line up with God's plan for my life, then it's pretty easy to walk it out. It's pretty easy to be powerful. I want the new. I don't want to just settle. I don't want to just close off doors. I don't want to settle for small. I want to keep dreaming big. You know, I know some older people that are getting pretty old and white-haired that are still dreaming and still walking into new land and taking new ground and starting new ministries and helping. That's what I want to be. I don't want to be one of the thousands that just quit somewhere in their 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s. I want to keep taking new ground. Don't settle. Don't stop. Don't quit gaining ground. I need you to dream big because you're connected to me. We're all connected to each other. God says, I'm doing a new thing. Can you see it? Will you come be a part of it? Will you get in on it? Don't get left behind. The gospel is transformational. The gospel is being brought from death to life. We were all dead in our sin, and we were all brought to life by Jesus, died on the cross, shed his blood for all of our sins. The gospel is a transformational gospel. When death comes to life, there is always movement. There's movement. There's action. We are being transformed. It it wasn't one time, one day when I said the sinner's prayer. Yes, I was transformed at that point and realized Jesus died for me and I'm going to heaven. But then there's supposed to be movement. There's supposed to be growth. There's supposed to be an infilling of the Spirit every single day, Paul tells us. A filling, not a one time. I'm supposed to be washed with the water of the Word over and over, and that's how I grow, and that's how I let go of the chains, and I see freedom, and I walk in freedom, and freedom. Ah. There's movement. The gospel is transformational. You see, it's a living gospel that we believe in. We're called to be filled continually with the Spirit and washed with the Word. Let's read John 15. These are Jesus' words. John 15, 1. I want new life. I want to see fruit. I want the new. Jesus said, I am the true vine. It tells me that there's some false vines out there. You don't counterfeit something that there's not a real one. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Why? That it may bring forth more fruit. There's a purpose. There's a reason. That you cut it back or you prune a tree and... Every branch that's not bearing fruit, he gets rid of it. He lets it go through something hard. 
He uses people in relationship. You know what I've found? That when I'm filling myself with the Spirit, if there's an area where I'm not producing fruit, right, there's an area where I should be dreaming bigger or I could be doing more or I could be more powerful. I could be, like, I feel this nagging, this unease, like something's missing, like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like there's got to be more that feeling that you've probably all felt. That it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And he that abideth, that word abideth that Jesus keeps using there, it means to live, to dwell, to stay, to settle down, or to be at home. I really like that definition. Jesus said, unless you learn to be at home in me, to live in me, right, to settle down and abide, live, dwell in me and, and me in you. It's not every Sunday you think about me and read a couple scriptures and feel good. You choose to let me live in you and to live in me and think about my words. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It doesn't say you can't do anything. Or without me, you can't do anything because I feel like I can do some things without Jesus. And I can accomplish some things. I'm pretty sure some people have accomplished some things without Jesus' power. Hitler comes to mind, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that can accomplish things and it wasn't, he didn't say you can't do anything. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, I think he meant like everything you do without me, it'll amount to nothing. Like, what's the point? Like, it won't last. And in a hundred years or a thousand years, what will it matter? It'll all just be gone. There'll be no legacy. They'll, they won't remember. Look what um, Luke 1, 34, and then we're going to come back and look at the rest of what Jesus said. But I want to jump over on that, that thought. Luke 1, 34, when the angel came to Mary and told her that, you know, this teenage girl and told her like, hey, you're, you're going to be pregnant and the baby's going to be the son of God and nobody's going to understand, but... It's the most important call that we've placed on any human. And I know you're a teenage girl. And here it is. Just imagine how Mary felt in that moment. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, if you're not familiar with how King James words things, um, when she said, I know not a man, it doesn't mean she doesn't know any men. It means she hasn't slept with any men had sexual relations with a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, 
and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her, the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Mary, I need you to believe. I need you to trust. I need you to have faith. I know it's impossible. I know it doesn't make sense. But remember your cousin that couldn't have kids? It was impossible. She's pregnant too. Right? And so this connection is going to give you faith and help you through the hardest time of your life because I want to do something new and spectacular in you. And so your cousin, I'm doing something great in her too, and I need y'all to connect. And then, oh, by the way, your cousin's baby, John the Baptist, he's going to be Jesus' closest friend and prepare the way. They're going to need each other too. What's going on? The angel's telling Mary, like, hey, I know this new thing. It's, it's impossible. You can't figure it out. You can't explain it. People are going to hate you for it. Like, it's not, but here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to have the faith to get through. Um, you need to find your cousin. Right? That connection is how you're going to get through, being connected. Because remember what Jesus said, if, if I'm the vine... Jesus said, not Dusty's the vine. Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches. So if I'm a branch connected to the vine, and Wayne's a branch connected to the vine, and Peg and Journey and RJ and Rebecca, and we're all connected to the vine, then that means we're connected to each other. If we want to produce fruit, we got to be connected to God, but to each other. There's no big old giant vine with one branch on it. Connected to each other, so he said, Go find your cousin. And the last verse I wanted to read right here was 37 For with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, it'll be impossible to do nothing. If I'm connected to the vine, I'm connected to God, and I got God flowing through my life. I believe it's impossible to do nothing. How could I have the Spirit of the living God in me and never do anything? How could I have love inside of me? Our God is love, and the number one response to love of love is to give. So how could I have God inside me and never do anything and never give and never change the world and never reach out? Romans 8.28 tells me that all things work together for my good because I'm called according to His purpose. I want you to know and realize and remember there are no nothing moments. Every day sets you up for one day. When God wants to do something big. And what you do in a defining moment 
is determined by what you did in all of the nothing moments leading up to it. All those moments leading up to when something happens is determined by what you did in all your nothing moments, what patterns you set up in your brain, what you taught yourself. Remember those 40% of the things you do, you do without even thinking now? You've trained yourself what to do when you get upset or what to do when you're excited or what you run to, what you go to. In the nothing moments or in the moments where it seems like it doesn't matter. And then you react. You know, if I throw a ball at somebody that hasn't ever had a ball thrown at them, it usually hits them in the face. Right? This happened when me and Jesse first got married. Nobody apparently had thrown things at her. Yeah. So guess what? After having things thrown at her for years and years and not in an abusive or mean way. She had three boys and me in the house, so a lot of balls got thrown at her and all kinds of things. And guess what? She's pretty good at catching them now. Real good. Right? She wasn't a long time ago. She trained herself. So life is going to throw things at you. Like life's going to throw some hard things and some challenging things at you. And there are just some people in your life that you don't have to like everybody. Right? You're, you're just not, there are going to be some things thrown at you. So will you react or respond? Uh, is it just going to hit you in the face? Or will you train yourself how to deal with the hard thing as it's flying at you and catch it? And then guess what? You save yourself a lot of pain. You save yourself a busted nose. Because you've set up patterns and so you know when this happens, this happens. Or when I'm feeling this way, I don't need to go there. Or I do need to go there. And, and we train ourselves how to deal with what gets thrown at us. Or we can just get angry and mad. And why did that person keep throwing that ball at me? It's a lot easier to just learn how to catch it and have some fun. Play the game. All right. I'm lost. Back to... Go back to John 15. Finish. I'm going to finish the story that I left off at verse 6. If a man, remember this is Jesus talking, abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire. See, there's no new growth. There's no new life. They just quit and give up and quit dreaming and... They're stepping into tomorrows, but never building a future. They quit building a future. And then they just step into tomorrows until one day when they die. And they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. He said, hey, look. You want to be my disciples? It brings my Father glory when you bear a lot of fruit. You have a lot of fruit in your life. It, it brings my Father glory. So if you want to be my disciples, pay attention. I want you to produce fruit. I want you to look like love and sound like joy and hope 
I want you to bear a lot of fruit because then it's going to be really obvious that you're my disciples. You know what disciples means? Simply just means disciplined ones. This is going to show that you have the discipline to change the pattern. When people look at you and you have love and joy and peace and hope in a world that's going crazy, it's going to show that you're my disciples, that there's something different. And then people are going to want what you have. You know there's always a charge to be connected. I'm talking about connection and being connected to the vine and being connected to each other. And that's what church is. That's what community is. That's what life is. And there's always a charge to be connected. You know, Harrelson County Water Authority charges me every month so that my pipes can be connected. And I need that water to wash and have showers and wash dishes and wash clothes. And I mean, we use that water for all kinds of things. But there's a cost. And guess what? If I don't pay that cost, it doesn't go very long before they come out and cut off the connection. No new water flow for you. And I can get mad about it. I can get upset about it. I can complain that I've been working over in the pig pen and now I'm all stinky and I don't have a way to take a shower and then I can beg everybody else in my life if I can please just use your water because for some reason the Harrelson County Water Authority hates me and my family. They got something against people with three boys. I, like, and like that sounds ridiculous to say, but how many people in your life do you know that they've not paid the price to be connected and when they find themselves in a place where they got poop all over them, they want to start blaming it on everybody else of why they don't, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have the job, I didn't, I didn't get this. I, no, you've not paid the price to be connected because the way that you're supposed to find healing and walk through this is in community and in connection and in producing fruit, but you've not paid the price to be connected. you got your source shut off. So yeah, you're dirty, and yeah, God calls me to help you and to teach you and say, hey, come on in and use my shower and get cleaned up, and then after you get cleaned up, let's talk about why you don't have your own water. Right? Let's, let's walk through that together. Let's, let's talk about the hard things and find out, but yeah, but why? Why is it that I'm going there? Why is it that I stink? Sin stinks. Flesh stinks. It's, it's death. You ever smelled something worse than death? Roadkill, rotten at, it, ugh. But in community and in relationship, we got to be real. We got to talk. There's a cost for connection. And guess what? On the water connection example, if I get a leak, I got a leak under my house last week. And it's just spewing out under there. And who knows how long it's been spewing out under there. So I hadn't got that bill yet, but I bet you they're going to want more. Why? Because it was wasted. I didn't even use that. But they're going to want me to pay more and sacrifice more for waste. What? You no, know, you can waste it. 
you can waste your connections and have people, well, just, I just need help with this. I just need help with that. And then people keep pouring and you just keep wasting it and dumping it out on the ground. And like, well, I did make a sacrifice for that. And I did make it, but it's pouring out on the ground. Same with the power. If I don't pay EMC, I get disconnected. I just feel disconnected at the church. I, I just I just feel disconnected. I feel like people don't love me. Or maybe it's me. Maybe it's in my head. Maybe it's just our, our church isn't a very loving church. I feel disconnected. I'm sure we've all felt that way or heard people say that, and we've all felt those feelings, and those feelings are real. But I'm just bringing up the point today that if you're feeling real disconnected, maybe you forgot to pay. Maybe you've not been investing in the connection. Right? The same with the power and the water bill. If I forget to pay, which has happened before, (laughs) I remember, man, I feel disconnected. What am I going to do? Go pay. (laughs) Right? Get reconnected. How? Make investments in the connection. Oh, how do I do that? We're talking about relationships. It's phone calls. It's Wednesday night fellowships. It's it's men's Bible study at six o'clock on Tuesday nights. It's hanging out like there are all kind of opportunities for connections. It's playing softball with the guys. It's showing up for fellowship. It's it's calling somebody that you're in a relationship and saying, hey, man, I, I've been working so much, and you have, and we didn't even get to speak to each other last week at church. Just want to check on you and see how you're doing. That's an investment in the relationship. And then it helps you not feel disconnected. There's a flow there. And we start to benefit from each other and from each other's life and flow and spirit and the, the river of living water that Jesus said would be flowing out of us. You know, the river of living water is not supposed to be flowing out of me just for me. It's supposed to be for all of you. Everybody that I'm connected to and I come in connection with. But there is a cost. It takes investment. I still didn't finish reading what Jesus was saying. A couple more verses here. As the Father hath loved me, so hath I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Was he just saying, keep it going. Don't stop. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying, just do what I do. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full this is my commandment in case you missed it in case you didn't know here's my commandment I'm going to repeat it to you this is my commandment that you love God nope Jesus didn't say that you love God this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you this is what I want you to do love each other the same way that I loved you. 
How did Jesus love you? First, he loved you before you ever loved him. He forgave you before you ever even were in relationship with him. Romans tells us that while you were at your worst, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So think about that, right? God's not stuck on a timeline. God's in your past, present, future. God always has been and always will be. So so think about that. When you were doing the worst thing you've ever done in your entire life, when you were abusing somebody, when you were hurting somebody, when you were choosing to look at something you should have never looked at, when you were high, drunk, out of your mind, when, whatever is the worst place you've ever been in your whole entire life, at that moment while you were at your worst, Jesus died for you. He hung on the cross and said, I'll pay for that. Yeah, Dad, I'll obey you. And God looks at us through these, these Jesus-filtered glasses. And He just sees His kid. His sons and His daughters that He paid the highest price for. So that we could be in relationship with Him. That we could be connected to Him. Because there was this, the great disconnect was sin. The great disconnect that kept us from life and the new that God has for us and from being filled with the Holy Spirit was that there was sin. Because of Adam, sin entered the world. But through the cross, God opened the flow. God opened up all the valves so that we could be connected to Him. This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. What did he command? Love people. Love God and love each other. Jesus said that's the two most important things I can tell you. Love God, love people. So if you want to be in relationship with Jesus, if you want to be his friend, he told the disciples here, you're my friend if you love each other. And if you want to have the greatest love, learn to lay down your life or your time for your friends. That's what Jesus was telling them. Right. If I go sacrifice my time for two hours and do something nice for you, you know what I did? I laid down a part of my life. Time is the most valuable thing we have. And if you're in trouble and you're hurting, and I go choose to take a part of the time that I have, not even knowing how much I have, because right, I could die tomorrow and have only had just over 40 years. I don't know. So every bit of time that I choose to give to help somebody else, to talk to somebody that's hurting, to help somebody walk in freedom from an addiction, every, every bit of time that I choose to give, that's me laying down my life for my friends. Because I understand that they're Jesus' friends too. And I want to be His friend. And how I become his friend is by laying down my life for his friends.
greater love hath no man than this, that he would give up his time. Can I say it that way? For people. He would give of himself. For people. Jesus is teaching the disciples that people are more important than time. And that love is greater, more powerful than time. God is love, John tells us. Love is more powerful than death, and love is more powerful than time. Another way you could say that is, no one has greater love than the one that would give up, lay down his time for his friends. When you die, they say your time has run out. Time has expired. And there's this movie that me and Jesse watched years ago. So don't think I'm recommending the movie because I don't remember. It might have some, I don't know if it has bad stuff in it. I think it came out like 10 or 12 years ago. But like parts of that movie really stuck with me over the years. So again, I'm not endorsing this movie because I don't remember really. Um, but it was called In Time with Justin Timberlake. Has anybody ever seen that movie? No, man, it must be older than that. I think it's probably 10 or 12 year old movie. But the whole idea of the movie was like time was currency. And so you would work all day and then they would give you time. Time to live. And if you ran out of time, you were dead. And so it was a really weird movie that really made you think about how valuable time is because it, it's kind of true. Like when I go to work, if I go work for somebody for an eight-hour day and then they hand me money, they've just bought my time. They bought eight hours of my life, which makes me never want to go to work for anybody, especially for a cheap. You know, I've spent some of my life going. I've, I've sold chunks of my life for $8 an hour. But I heard now, I saw a meme that for this, this generation, uh, $20 an hour is the new $8 an hour. So whatever, I don't know what, y'all got 20 bucks an hour, but that's what it is. You're selling your time. And that movie really made me think. As they say in the movie, time is money. Money can buy time. Wait a minute, I read that wrong. Time is money, but money can't buy time. Time can buy money. Apparently, I wrote that down wrong. You get the idea. <laughs> time is the most valuable thing that we have. Time is more powerful than money. And love is more powerful than time. Jesus taught us that. And so many people live their lives today like money and stuff is the most important thing. That a job and making money and getting nice stuff and not like that, that's the most important thing. And it's not like there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having awesome stuff and having money and being okay and comfortable. But it was never supposed to be the most important thing. Not even close. The more I read and study my Bible, the more I see like that. 
That's not what we're called to focus on to be our number one goal. Jesus said in Mark 8, 37, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade for your soul? What could you give up? for? Your, like, what's it worth to lose you? What does it matter if you got everything in the whole world and cars and houses and swimming pools and spouses and jobs and an island if you lose you in the process? If you lose who you were created to be, if, if you lose your connection, if you don't have the new and you don't have fruit, love and joy and peace and hope. One time Jesus was with the disciples and this guy came and all we know him by is the, the Bible calls him the rich young ruler. Okay, so we know he was rich, he was young, and he was in charge of something. That's all we know about the guy. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Sounds pretty good, right? I don't like the guy had money. He was in charge. And what oh, and he was young. He had time. Sounds great. And he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, what is it that I need to do? There's something missing, and I want to really live. I want to really experience life. I want to be fulfilled. I, what is it that I'm missing? And, and the scripture tells us that Jesus looked at him and Jesus was sad. Jesus got upset. And Jesus tells the guy, here's what you need to do. Go sell everything that you own and give it away to the poor. Use it to help people. And then come follow me. The only other people in the whole uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the whole time that Jesus was alive, the only other people that Jesus looked at and said, come follow me, that call only went out to disciples. Like Peter and James and John. That was how Jesus called disciples. Hey, come follow me. Hey, leave your, your fishing boat and your nets and come and follow me. And so all the scholars agree if you go dig into this story and look into it at all. Jesus was calling him to be a disciple. Maybe he was supposed to write one of the Gospels. Maybe he would have been involved in, in miracles. He would have been a part of the story. We would know his name for sure. Right? We know all the disciples' names. But if you go read the story, it says that the rich young ruler was sad. And he grieved in his heart and he went away depressed depending on what translation you read it in, but he felt this great sadness or depression because he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice to follow Jesus. His stuff was more important than the new call that God was placed on, that, that Jesus was calling him to, the new, the purpose. The real life that he was seeking and looking for and asking for because he was so worried about his stuff. What stuff did he have? We don't even know. Here a couple thousand years later, what does it matter? Did he have two camels? And a donkey? They're all dead. Right? He probably had a whole lot more stuff than old Peter. But we know a lot about Peter. 
And Peter's story still speaks today. Peter's one of my mentors, and I never even met him. Thousands of years later, why? Because when the call came, he wasn't so stuck in his patterns to transform. He messed up a lot. It wasn't even that smart. But he wasn't afraid of the new. He wasn't afraid to leave his past behind. He wasn't so stuck in his stuff. He made a sacrifice. What is God asking you to let go of? You know, we're all dying. One day at a time. Every day counts. Every day matters. What will your legacy be? If you died today, would you leave a legacy? Would you leave a mark on the world? What would you be remembered for? What would you be remembered by? What if Jesus asked you to let go of everything like he did the rich young ruler? What if Jesus asked you to give away everything that you and your family had worked for your whole life? What if he asked you to give up control so that you can make a greater impact on the world? Would you do it? Let me answer it for you. No, you wouldn't. Right? That's the reality is most people won't. Comes a point in time where we close the doors and say, No, nah, I'm not willing to give up that much now. But will we open up our hearts? And open up our minds and say, you know what? Stuff doesn't matter. People do. My name and fame doesn't matter. His name and fame does. See, there's this shift. And then there's this freedom and this fulfillment and this growth. And, and it's like you open the shutoff valve so that the water just rushes in. Constantly fresh water, new water. If you dump a little vinegar or lemon juice in there or something, it doesn't flavor the whole thing when there's a fresh flow, a river. Man, that's gone. Flushes it right out. So what is it that Jesus would ask you to give up? to step into the new and to be a part of a bigger story than just you. How do we do it? You got to be connected and planted. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. Look at Psalms. Uh, Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and these shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon those that be planted oh wait so if we want to flourish and grow like a big strong cedar at Lebanon if we want to be powerful and see the new growth and new life we got to be planted where? in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Hey, 
We don't have to close off those doors. We're not supposed to quit producing fruit. In fact, as we get older, we should get better. We should produce more fruit. Now, when I look back, when I'm 60, I hope I'm producing more fruit than I am now at 40. And if I'm still growing and open to the new and hearing God's voice, that when I'm 80, I should be producing even more fruit and growing even more. They shall still bring forth fruit in their old age. And they shall be fat and flourishing. Amen. I'm going to be just producing fruit and fat as I can be. In the spirit. And I do like to eat. Check this out. I've got two beautiful roses here. We're talking about the vine and being connected and producing fruit. Now these two, oh, look at that. Petals are falling off of this one. I don't think this one's had any water in a while. What do you think? I mean, I don't know how good y'all can see that. These are both the same thing. They're both roses. They both came from a seed. They both grew off of a plant. Which one's alive? The one in my left hand? Or the one right here next to the microphone? Right. Neither one of them are alive. They're both cut off from the root. They're both cut off from the source. Now this one right here, he reminds me of some Christians I've seen. They look like they got a lot. They look like they got some life. Right? They look good. They church it up. They can, they can show up and make you think that they're alive and this is beautiful, but really there's nothing new is coming out of this. In fact, the more time goes on, the more it'll look like this one. And what happens? Without the water, without the connection to the plant and to the roots, it starts to dry out. And then what? It starts to fall apart. It dwindles. It's not as pretty. It's not as full of life. It, you see these pieces falling off down here on the floor. But this one is no better. Just give it a little time. Like, I don't want to be this one either. That's not what church is about, is coming in and figuring out how to put on another face of makeup and look like I'm alive. I want to really be alive. Well, how do I do that? I have to be planted. I think we got a... Sailor, you got a picture up there? As a Christian, we're supposed to be like a rose bush planted and producing over and over and over and then yes seasons change and the flowers die and fall off but guess what new life is coming why because that is planted in the house we're planted in the church i'm planted and connected in relationship i'm connected to the vine which is jesus and the source and i'm continually being filled and watering and growing 
so that I can experience the new life and be a bush, not just a plant. When we are planted, we will produce much fruit. We will see the new and we will grow. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's all about Jesus. Ephesians 3. God can do anything, you know. Oh, no, let me read you verse 14. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him that with both feet planted firmly on love. Planted firmly on love. I love that when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he, he kept bringing up the fact that you got to love each other. Jesus told them in another place other than, than uh, what we read in John 15, this is how they're going to know that you're my disciples is by your love for one another. That's how they're going to know from looking at you. This is us, boys. You want to be a Christian? You want to be a disciple? They're going to know you by your love for each other. How well do you love each other? They did a poll where 100 people were asked, um, in your opinion, what is the definition of a Christian? And I'm sorry to say that what won the poll was judgment. Judgmental. Rules. That was the number one answer when 100 people were polled. It should be hands down love. Jesus said, this is how they'll know that you're connected to me is by your love for each other and by your love for people. Your love for the broken and the hurting and the ones that are in the ditch and the ones that are struggling and, and your love for each other. That's how, no, this is what you're supposed to look like. We should be known by our love. Love is a decision, not a feeling. Remember, love is a command and you can't command a feeling. Lust is a feeling. Love is a decision that we make. Remember where uh, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He loved us first. Yeah, I already talked about that. I'm the leader. Awesome. Great. And that means you need to be first. First to apologize, first to forgive, first to serve, first to love. Good. You want to be a godly leader? You want to follow in Jesus' footsteps? That's what a leader is. You go first. You love, forgive, serve. That's what we should be known by. Most Christians want Jesus to change their eternity, but they're not willing to let him change their mentality. And that's the only way we see a transformation. Yeah, cool. I want him to change my eternity and make sure I'm glad he sent his son so I can go to heaven one day. But 
if I don't allow him to change my mentality and the way I think, then I'll never see a transformation while I'm alive. I'll never be all that I could be. Warning, we're talking about love. This love is dangerous when demonstrated. Seems kind of reckless from the outside looking in sometimes. Doesn't make sense. But it's worth it. Can I read you one more scripture? I was trying to be done with that, but let me just read you Romans 8.31 and we'll be done. I'm going to read it in the Message Bible. I promise this is it. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how could we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing Himself to the worst by sending His own Son, is there anything else He wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us? who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, not threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. He's like, even, and if I forgot something, the worst sins listed in Scripture. Not even any of that. None of this phases us. Because Jesus loves us. That's how powerful love is. None of it stops us from dreaming. None of it stops us from being who we're called to be. None of it can hold us back unless we let it. Because Jesus loves us. Paul said there are no excuses. Circumstances, sin, abuse, pain. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Why? Because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And see, when we get a hold of that and we're connected to Him and His love is flowing through us, it changes the way we look at other people. It changes the way we connect with other people and the way that we minister to other people and the way that we help people walk through their brokenness. And, and, and we're the church and we're the body. And so when somebody comes in, whether they believe or not, they need to see love. They need to feel love and know love because that's what the church is. That's what Jesus' disciples are supposed to look like. So if you're having sex outside of marriage, Come to church. And if you're lost in addiction, please come to church. 
If you were out all night last night, drunk, and made some bad decisions, come to church. And if you don't know what you think or believe, or come to church. If you don't know what gender you prefer, come to church. If you've been broken or wounded or hurt or scared or angry or judgmental, please come to church. Come and connect. You're welcome. You're always welcome here. If you're on top of the mountain in life or if you've been stuck in a valley for a really long time, come to church. We need you and you need us. See, the church is a hospital for the broken. We all have a past. And if you're breathing, then there is a new future for you. Don't get stuck. Get connected. Don't get stuck in your past and left behind. Get connected and step into the new that God has for you. Be powerful. Change the world. Let's do it together. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking to our hearts and our minds. I thank you for your love, for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning because we need it. If we're going to step into the new that you have for us, we're going to need your mercy. Help us to pick each other up. Help us to love each other. Give us grace and empathy for each other because we want to look like you. And we want to be known as your friends. God, thank you for laying your life down for us. Thank you for showing us an example of what real love looks like and how to really lead. God, we love you. Use us. We're ready. In Jesus' name. Amen.